Welcome to the Defend the North podcast. I'm your co-host, Dana Eisfeld. I'm joined tonight by Cousin Isaac. And Isaac, it has been a weekend. Why don't you walk <laughs> us through Minnesota sports Friday through Monday as we are recording this on Monday, November 8th. Cuz I am so happy to have been born in Minnesota. It is just it is just a great day to be alive for a Minnesota sports fan. You know, our football teams, you know, dis- disappointment in true fashion like normal. Um, our basketball team, you know, with a pretty good start, some optimism there, and they can't win to save their life. And then uh, not Minnesota at all related, but man, am I having some issues in the fantasy football season right now just injuries galore and i can't get anyone to trade with me you know i'm honestly gonna have a hard time we're talking about football today right this is, our, this is kind of our football pod yep, I'm gonna... yep we're gonna do two segments tonight one on the vikings one on the gophers and then a small segment at the top about fantasy football and you know i i, I feel you because I, I i started out the season like what five and two and four and two in the other league and i was feeling good and riding high and I think I'm under 500 in one league now and 500 in the other. So between COVID and injuries and buys and just sometimes the season catching up with you, you know. So where are you at? Because we we are in two leagues together. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, And in the in the one league, I think I'm like five and three now, and I've like lost the last like I don't know two out of three games or something like that. And I, I have Derrick Henry, so that's kind of my big blow. And I realized just how little little uh, depth I had at running back. So that's been a bummer. Although that league this week, I didn't score that bad. I think I scored the third most, most points in the league. But of course, it's that, you know, luck of the draw. I scored the third most points in the league, but I'm playing the guy who just happened to score, you know, better than me. So it's like, of course. Um, but the other league I'm in, uh, our auction league, my running backs are crap, and I tried to trade this this last weekend, and you heard my frustrations on that. Uh, it'd be nice if someone would, you know, have a little more courage to say it nicely to uh, do some kind of trade. But you know, it's all good. It's fine. You know what? It's fine because I think I'm going to win in that in that game. I, I think I am winning actually, and uh, you know, only scoring about eighty five, ninety points. But you know, it's it, a win's a win, right? Win's a win. Yeah, what I can't figure out in our auction league is the guy that's winning it. He's undefeated, 8-0. and And he's like, you know, um, he's got the fewest points against. And that's kind of how it goes in fantasy. Some I, I've had years. I won a championship last year. I might have mentioned that once or twice in the pod. But I've had better years than last year. You know, and th- sometimes you just need to, you know, catch lightning in a bottle at the end of the year. Be competitive throughout the year. Sneak into the playoffs as a four seed because a lot of fantasy leagues, you know, it's it's the top four teams make it in, and 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 there you have it. I'm actually, you know, the standings have not been updated yet because the week is not quite yet over. I am still second in one league at five and three. I'm about to drop to five and four. So there's going to be a there's a log jam about three or four teams, and so you know it, that's the exciting part about football. Some years you just need to make it in as a wild card. And there's been several teams, um, NFL teams, that have gone in as wild cards and ended up winning Super Bowls. So never count yourself out unless you're out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's still, it's still early, right? We have the extra game this year. We're like halfway through the year. We got time. But 
I sort of feel like these middling fantasy teams, though, are reflective of these middling Minnesota football teams. <laughs> and that was what we wanted to talk about tonight, Cousin Isaac, is the kind of a midseason check-in point. I guess for the Gophers at this point, it, we're a little bit past the midway point. The Vikings, um, even though we're 3-5, and five, which feels like exactly the midway point, we're a little bit under it this year because, of course, we're playing 17 games this year. Um, but the two Minnesota football teams, neither of them are bad football mm-hmm. teams. And I'd, I'd argue one six and three and the other's three and five, and neither of them are really that good either. Pretty pretty middle, middle of the road Minnesota, huh? We're never we're never bad enough to you know fi- like get some awesome draft talent, and we're never good enough to make it all the way to the finish line. Well, Just... in, in, in college, I would prefer to be a middling team because it doesn't really affect your ability to recruit, right? Yeah. You know. It, it, and middling is easier to get to good than a bad team is, which is a lot of Minnesota football for the last 40 years. But you're right. In the NFL, um, middling teams in most professional sports, when you play kind of in that just below, just above or at 500, like that's no man's land yeah. in professional sports. We've been competitive, right? I mean, the number of years we've made it the playoffs, like we're always right there. It's just a matter of like, that's basically all we are is like a first or maybe second round playoff team. And it's like, we can't ever get over that, that edge. And, you know, I know we're going to talk about this more, but you know, it's a good combination of, of our defense, you know, being consistent enough, being good enough. And our offense with, you know, is Kirk the right guy? Is he a guy that can lead you to the promised land? Um, Do we have enough talent around him? A good offensive line to uh, give him time to work. And even like, not even with the players on the field, but are we calling the right stuff, you know, to get the ball in the end zone? So I don't know where you want to start with that mess, but what I do guess you think? You just went for the jugular, my heart, my lungs, my kidney, my liver, <laughs> and you slashed a, a vein in my legs. Like, I don't know what to do with that, Isaac. I'll say this. I'll say this. Uh, your point earlier about just, you know, the Vikings and, you know, where they are in terms of an NFL franchise. And I think the one thing that we have to remember is that this team, the purple and gold that play in downtown Minneapolis at U.S. Bank, I saw a stat last year um, in, 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 on a broadcast of one of our games. There's only two teams in the entire NFL that have qualified for the playoffs more times than the Minnesota Vikings since 1970. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of seasons where we've gotten close. And, you know, this, the Vikings are competitive generally. Like there's not been a lot of long stretches like the twins, like the gophers, like the Timberwolves, where you can say like, okay, that team's been bad, like for half a generation or half a yeah. decade even. Right. Like, and this is another one of those seasons. And even though our record is three and five, Mike Zimmer, after every um, post-game press conference, he is can, trying to convince the fan base. This is not a bad football team. It's not a bad football team. And yet we've lost five games and, you know, as Bill Parcell said, you are what your record says you are. <laughs> so I'll start with this. You know, I, I think, you know, there's a, the, the big things here to look at are Mike Zimmer and Kirk Cousins. So those are my softballs. I'm tossing them up. Which one do you want to hit? Well, we can start with Zimmer, right? I mean, All right. I, I'm, 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 I've always been a Zimmer fan. I'm going to be honest. I've always loved him as a coach. But this is the year I'm starting to, the, the milk is starting to slightly go sour. So uh, I don't, 
I, I don't know what's what's going on this year. It doesn't seem like he really has the locker room, whether it's the like it's the run into with with Kirk that he has or like the beef he has with a lot of his team that isn't getting vaccinated. Um, I mean, he's a defensive coach and like I, this year, our defense is pretty solid, which I think we'll talk about in a bit, but like, so it's like, you know, I, I love Zimmer, but at the same time, you have to see the results on the field. Um, and also, I mean, we're looking at this year, you know, the Zimmer, the good old, you know, he's the, he's the every other kind of guy in terms of one year he's making the playoffs the next year we're hovering around 500 this is supposed to be a playoff a playoff year what's going on like i mean i guess we could still make it there's a lot of a lot of games left right well yeah i mean the vikings are three and five and you know there's seven teams that are going to make it into the nfc playoffs this year we have an extra wild card team a third wild card team and there are 17 games so as i mentioned at the top isaac like we still have nine games to go so if we finish with the same record roughly say we finish six and three or five and four and you put that on top of the three and five start we're going to be right there for a third playoff spot you know and so then you're looking at probably playing the number two seed is there a good team in football like over the weekend, you know, Arizona, which was the team that really surprised me, um, you know, with uh, Kyler Murray not playing and brother McCoy coming in and <laughs> they won, you know, cool. and yeah, against the 49ers. But how many upsets? I mean, Tennessee looked good. Tennessee looked yeah. really good against the Rams, but the Rams were seven and one. They lost yeah. um, just a lot of teams throughout the league. New Orleans was upset by Atlanta. Packers lost, but they were without Rodgers. So the Packers lost to the Chiefs, but the Chiefs the Chiefs looked awful. Yeah, they haven't looked Buffalo, good all year. Buffalo lost against Jacksonville. <laughs> I mean, so like I'm asking myself, like it's kind of a wide open field. So I'm not ready to throw the the, the towel in yet on a playoff berth. And I know I'm going against the grain here. Um, I'm not saying that the Vikings are are, are are playoff contenders, but I just think that if you can sneak in this year, Tampa Bay, they lost. They had a bye this week. They lost last week. They still seem to me like the team to beat um, in the NFC, at least. Like they seem more complete than most of the other teams. And But everybody has warts, you know, and is Rodgers, you know, um, he's coming off of probably the worst week in his career in terms of PR. <laughs> But I, I'm guessing that the Packers fan base is going to forgive him pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, okay, so like, you know, we're getting a little bit on a on a on a tangent here, but I think your earlier <laughs> points were like, you know, Mike Zimmer. So the national media, the local media, I mean, the Vikings Twitter, they they want him gone three games ago. Should he be fired? We're on year eight, right? We're on, we're on year eight, and at this point. You know, you got to think he's. We're, we have a, we have a quarterback we've had for what, like three or four years now. Yeah, eighteen. Cousins was uh, signed in March of eighteen, so this yeah. is his fourth season. So I don't know if Zimmer would like me to say this, but he has his quarterback that he's had for three years now. Um, he's got he's got a great running back, two great wide receivers, an offensive line this year that I think is holding up its end of the bargain. Now it's not a perfect line. Definitely not. But when you when you complain about not giving Kirk Cousins enough time to work in the pocket, like, come on. Like our offensive line isn't bad this year. And you look at the sacks they've given up, and it's it's pretty good. Like we're 
we're definitely not last in the league. We're probably not first, but we're on we're on middle of the pack. I don't know if you have that sad or not. Yeah, yeah, but, no, no, no. I, we're actually like towards the top. We've we were third in sacks allowed with ten. Um, yeah. That was this was before yesterday's game, so that might have changed a bit. But basically, we're averaging one point four per game, and our pass blocking has been really good on the whole, superficially. And Cousins in most games, I would say that he's he's shown some improvement in terms of his pocket awareness. Like he gets a little bit of pressure and he's not just like on every single time that he faces one or two guys coming at him, like going down into like cousins prenatal. Right. But I think those numbers are a bit skewed because this offense, um, Clint Kubiak's offense, I think they're doing everything they can to protect a mediocre quarterback. So he doesn't turn the ball over. And so he doesn't get sacked. So what does that mean? Cousins, has only thrown two interceptions the entire year, Isaac. And this Vikings team as a whole has only given up five turnovers in eight games, which I think is also second in the NFL. Fantastic, right? Like, you're getting sacked at a league-low average. You're giving up the ball at a league-low average. But that's in large part because he ranks 26 out of the 35 qualified quarterbacks in the aggressiveness stats, which... Um, quantifies how often a quarterback throws into tight windows. And listen to this, Isaac, 33rd and average depth of target. So mm-hmm. he's getting the, the rid of the ball more quickly than virtually any other starting quarterback in the league. So this offensive line, which by the way, pro football focus, which I now have a subscription to $9.99 a month, has is ranked in terms of pass blocking grade as a team. Garrett Bradbury, 31st ranked center, dead last in pass blocking centers. Ezra Cleveland and Ole Udo didn't crack the top 50 in guards. Brian O'Neill, 39th ranked tackle. Christian Derisaw is 54th. And good old Rashad Hill, 77th. So it's pretty clear to me that what this offensive scheme is doing is they're saying, we're not going to take shots down the field. We're not going to get the balls to our big playmakers in Thielen and Jefferson at least in the passing game. And we're not going to let Kurt sit in pocket for more than 2.5 seconds. And that's how we're going to win games. The problem is that doesn't win games. It hasn't won games. Exactly. We're not turning the ball over and we're not getting sacked and we're not moving the ball in key, you know, in key points in the ball game. Well, not even that, but we're not, we're not moving the ball period. Like you, I mean, our first drive looks beautiful. I guess we come out with that first drive scripted written in a nice novel with a nice hardcover um, <laughs> picture and everything like that, that first drive always looks great. It's like, Oh, all right, this game's going to be awesome. After that first drive, it's like our offensive corner is like, Oh yeah, if, you know, we didn't, we didn't plan for the rest of the game. So we're just going to go ahead and have three and outs until we get to the fourth quarter and have to put some kind of crazy drive together to settle for a field goal or maybe score a touchdown or something. And it's like, how, I mean, how, how are we how are we playing so conservative? I mean, you talk about the turnovers, right? Like, we we're, we have such low turnovers. But how, I'd like to know how many times we go three and out. I don't know that stat. But every I watch, I mean, I watch every weekend. And I, I swear every possession, at least like the second and third quarter, we're going three and out. How is that any different from a turnover? Yeah, that, that's a fair point, Isaac. And, you know, I think that, you know, Clint Kubiak, <clears throat> nepotism, the son of Gary Kubiak, 
who took over as offensive coordinator this year in 2021, who, by the way, had taken over for his father last year, who took over for Kevin Stefanski in 19, who took over for John DiFilippo in 18, who took over for Pat Trimmer in 17, who took over for Norv Turmer in 14 through 16. You get my idea. Like he has, uh, you know, Zimmer hasn't been able to like establish any kind of continuity in terms of the offensive management and administration of this team. And so that talent is to a large extent, you know, is squandered. And, you know, you, you bring up the point, <laughs> you said a hard novel. I think if, if Kubiak, if, if Zimmer gets tossed, which he very well could be at some point this year, my argument would be, it's probably going to be at the point where we have no chance of the playoffs. Clint Kubiak could probably go out and, you know, his best chance of, of, of employment after the Vikings is probably with the um, screenwriter, the screenwriters guild out in California. Cause that's the only thing he can do is script plays. I, I, I watched the game, you know, yesterday. And I think the commentator said that we were first in the NFL in terms of first possession points at 34 yeah, and we're six, we're six overall in first quarter points. I want to say, by the way, the second and third quarters were like 14th and 18th. And then in the fourth quarter, we're 31st in Oof. points scored. So that tells you all you need to know. And, you know, like we are moving the ball, though, because this Vikings team, again, these are stats coming into the weekend, are eighth in passing yards, and we're 10th in rushing on offense, and we're 18th overall in points per game. So how the heck are you not putting like, getting more points? So then my mind goes to, all right, so you're moving the ball, so then it's a red zone issue. Nope. Not a red zone issue. In fact, I think we're like, um, there was a stat last night or yesterday during the game. We're eighth in red zone scoring percentage and 11th in red zone touchdown percentage. So then I'm like, I don't get it. Like, we're good really? at running. We're good at passing. We get into the red zone and we score. Yet, we're 18th in scoring offense. But this is what I think it is, Isaac. Um, the fundamental issue with this Vikings offense is that we're conservative. Right. Yeah. We have a, we have, and we're, we're not giving the quarterback time to like make aggressive plays down the field because we don't have a quarterback that can do that. So we're hiding his weakness. Greg Joseph is tied for second in the league in field goal attempts this season with 21 and almost three attempts per game at this point. 11 of those are from beyond 40 yards. So what's happening. And that's, by the way, tied for the league league in 40-plus yard field goal attempts. What's happening is this Vikings team is getting the ball, and we are able to move the ball close to scoring position. If we get into the red zone, we're actually pretty good, mostly because Delvin Cook and Adam Thielen. But we're stalling between the 20 and 40-yard line all too often. And that's leading you know, these seven-point possessions. You know, And Greg Joseph, to his credit, actually has done a pretty good job of kicking this year. You know, We're stalling... And when we're not, it's three and outs. That game yesterday in overtime, we stopped. We stopped them. And we get the ball back. And what happens? We get the ball at the 39-yard line. Wasn't it an interception? Mm. And I honestly, like, I got, you know, two kids and my sister came over to pick up her dog that we were babysitting. I turned around, like, literally, like, in, like, 50 real seconds. And we didn't have the ball. And I'm like, what the hell? And I went back <laughs> and looked. And I'm like, oh, of course. We called three plays that led to nothing in the most critical moment of the game. And that's where nepotism comes in. Like you can't have the son of your former offensive coordinator be your offensive coordinator. Come on. This is like sports management 101. The Timberwolves couldn't figure that out with Ryan Saunders. And then you promote your own son, Adam Zimmer, 
um, to assistant from, you know, the only thing that he had done before he had ever coached for his dad was as an assistant linebackers coach. And now he's the co-defensive coordinator of the Minnesota Vikings, Adam Zimmer. I think Zimmer's a good coach. He's the only one in Vikings history outside of Bud Grant and Danny Green with a winning percentage um, that is, you know, up towards 600. But when you bring it, when you promote the son of your former offensive coordinator and your own son, and they're two of the top four guys in terms of your coaching staff. And by the way, we have 22 coaches. That's why this team is against these coaches. That's why you hear them in post-game press conferences talking about this is a team issue. This is a, you know, the, the guys have come out and they, they're basically saying between the lines, this is a coaching issue. The talent's there. Oof. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you can see it. I love the rant because I do. I mean, it's, it's real. Um, but the, I mean, yeah, just to echo, like third down's a big issue. Like we're, we're, what I'm looking at, we're 25th and third down percentage. So that's telling me we have a quarterback that can't make a play. You know, all those check down screens, all those, or all those check downs, all those screens. Like, we we need more aggressive play calling. And also, like, a, something I find crazy, considering we have Dalvin Cook in the backfield, 30-second rush, rushing touchdowns. Yeah, what does he have, two for the year? Did No, he got, did he get one yesterday? No, he had the long run. Did he score? Uh, I don't remember. He had that 60-yard scamper. I don't think he scored. But he had 29 touchdowns in the last two years. That's what I'm saying. Like, why? Like, I don't understand why we we have this kind of talent and it's not being utilized correctly. So yeah, I mean, if if Kubiak's the issue, like this is on Zimmer to to figure it out whether we need to find a new offensive coordinator, which he's done in previous years, mm-hmm. or maybe he needs to just uh like tell Kubiak to do something different. I don't know, but like, but to me, like this this is what what makes it easier for me to say like. Zimmer is on the hot seat and he maybe needs to go is like, we're on year eight and we're still dealing with issues like this. Like he should have his, his like, he should have his, his team kind of set. Like I know he's got a new, new offensive coordinator, but he should know what he wants. He should know what this person's bringing in. I know he's a new guy. Um, but eight years in, you gotta, like, you gotta have this stuff down. Like, and we still have game man. We still have like time clock management issues in games, whether it's timeouts or just like, trying to do a hurry up offense. We just like, we waste so much time moving the ball offensively. And I just like, I'm sorry, Zimmer eight years in this, this should be ironed out by now. I, I don't, I don't know what else you like. You want me to say like, well, he's not a, a great, he's not a great staff manager. Like I do think Mike Zimmer is a good football mind, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But in the modern NFL, like if you're going to be, and by the way, like he calls every time I turn on the game, it's like, you know, here's your de- Minnesota Vikings defensive starters and here's their play caller, the head coach. And it's like, and we have co-defensive coordinators, by the way, his son is one of them. And it's like, okay, that's okay. If you are going to be so, you know, tuned into one side of the ball and so there's three models. You're an offensive genius, so not Kyle Shanahan. You're a defensive <laughs> genius, Mike Zimmer. I don't know what to call him a genius, but a guru. Or you are an administrator that, that brings in coordinators on both sides of the ball that can get the job done. Whatever you are, though, you've got to be able to hire the people around you that can get the job done for your weak spots. And when you're, you're promoting family and, and friends of family and friends of friends and sons of friends, 
it's not going to do it. I mean, this guy, and I heard this on Mackie and Judd last week, uh, going into this last week's game, he was 16 and 43. So now 16 and 44 against winning teams in his career, you know, and he's lost to three backup quarterbacks in the last two seasons, including, um, what was it? Cooper, Cooper rush, Cooper, whatever. Yeah. Like that (laughs) was the bottom. Yeah. So I don't know. I, we have the talent and I, I don't know if we're going to be able to get the job done. I think the offensive line is still a problem. By the way, I, should we switch to defense? Because I think that is a little bit of a bright, brighter spot this year. We've at, yeah. we, we, gave up, we gave up 31 I mean, points yesterday, but overall, this defense hasn't been bad. No, I mean, our our defense has been pretty solid. I mean, it's not stout Vikings defense you're probably used to years past, but we're we're good enough that we should win games. We really are. I mean, we, we have our weaknesses, like our rushing defense is awful. Surprisingly, our passing defense isn't the worst in the world. I mean, you, you go like yards-wise, we're 12th in passing, but rush yards, we're 28th. Um, and then we're also just horrendous in the red zone. Once once someone gets in the red zone, like they will score on us. Where I think we're 26 is what I'm seeing here. Um, so between those those factors, um, we're actually surprisingly like really good on third down percentage. We're fifth in the league. But kind of something that offsets that is our fourth down percentage, 27th in the league. Yeah, this year there, there definitely seems to be a turn in like the number of teams and how often they are going for fourth down, even on their side of the field. Yeah. Yeah, and our team just doesn't seem, I don't know if it's ready or the right play calling or if it's just the other team set up for really short fourth down conversions, but I feel like that's not the case because there's been several games where it's been fourth and either medium or long and it's i mean they 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 get it so um i would say that's the one negative is like we have a hard time getting off the field when the offense is trying to extend beyond third down but outside of that like i don't think we're losing games because of our defense yeah i you know i looked at a lot of those same stat sides again and you're absolutely right i I kept looking for our sore spot. Like when I look at these stats, especially team stats, I always try to look at the outliers, right? Because you get like 20 categories and like, what are like the two or three things that we're really good at? And I, but I couldn't find it, you know, and we're basically like 12th to 18th outside of the um, running yards allowed in virtually every team category on pro football reference, pass rush, pass defense, rushing, passing points per game, red zone, Penalties per game, um, penalties are a little high. Uh, but we're not great at a lot, but we're not bad at much, and we're okay. Like, this defense is a little, I'd say, just very minimally above average. Um, so it, the defense seems like a team that maybe should be 5-3. and three. But when you throw in bad coaching and an offense that stutters when they get on their, um, the opponent's side of the field, like... But maybe the the big thing here is, um, you know, we're two and five in one score games. It's been a really entertaining season and often heartbreaking on these Sundays. But most yeah. weeks, like if you've got NFL Red Zone, I guarantee you, you're going to be spending some time on the Vikings game because they <laughs> they've all come down to the wire overtime games, you know, and games that come down to a kicker what three yeah. or four times, and you know it it. Is that luck or is that game management? Like, 
two and five in one score game seems a little bit of a historical anomaly. And so I think that's part of what this season is too. It's not just bad coaching and important moments or, you know, us, it's some of it's luck. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, it's, it's luck. And I, I've, I just think I've seen enough from, from our offense. Like we, we just need something different. Like, I, I'm so tired of of the days of conservative play calling of of Kirk's check down on third and third and ten. Like, can we get some aggressiveness and on the offensive side of the ball, especially when our def like our defense isn't going to carry us like like it once was. Like, I I could understand if our defense was like the best defense in the league. Like they're creating turnovers, they're stopping teams, you know, from scoring. Like. Low scoring games, like I get it. Have a conservative offense then because your defense is gonna win you games. But we're not there. Like we need so, to we need to be more aggressive to attempt to win games. I don't like what are we going for right now? Does Zimmer think we have the top defense in the league and that's why we're playing the way we are? No, I, I I think he thinks that we have a slightly above average defense. And I think that the problem is on offense. Okay, so say that we turn into this aggressive like offensive juggernaut, like or try to. What does that mean? Well, Pro Football Focus has our offensive line in terms of um, uh, pass blocking ranked 31st out of 32 teams, meaning we lose at almost every position often. So they feel like they have to get the ball out early on passing downs in particular. But the problem is like, who's those? So, right. So if you want to be aggressive, then you need to establish the running game. And Delvin Cook does do that pretty well, except he's been out twice this year. So he's played six of the eight games and in three of the other six games that he has played, he's been pretty average. He's been, you know, he's had three games above a hundred yards and I think three games at 50 or below, I want to say. And so like it, his stats look okay. Like they look pretty comparable to his best years, but he's not consistent. So that tells me that this offensive line is not creating the kind of push up front against good defensive run teams and so you start to kind of put the pieces together and you're like you have a quarterback that you don't trust in the pocket because here's the thing you want to be aggressive what's going to happen is kirk's going to go down he's going to get sacked and we're going to start complaining about how kirk can't escape the pocket that hasn't been a problem this year because we're not allowing that to happen well we've also been losing games so do what what do we want to complain about here i don't know like maybe he hasn't been getting sacked but it hasn't resulted to to winning football. No, but the other the other formula of Kirk didn't either, where you had him been seven step drops and like looking for three seconds, and if he couldn't find his first guy, like he was down the turf. So yeah, okay. I, I just like and I I respect those rankings on on our offensive line. I I I mean, I watch every Sunday, and I like to me that seems the rankings seem a little ridiculous to me. Um, I've seen enough of Kirk that. He's missed enough throws this year that I mean it like he has time. Like, yes, there's there's games where he's under pressure, definitely. There's times when he's under pressure, definitely. You're gonna get that. You're gonna get that in football. But there's he's missed throws this year, as he has in years previous. And it's just the constant conservative throws. Like like give your wide receiver a chance on the field. And a and a game like this year that I'll always go back to is the Detroit Lions. And that could have been a lot of play calling, but we continuously like ran the ball, ran the ball, ran the ball, checked the ball down, checked the ball down, checked the ball down. We were crushing the Lions 
in the secondary. If we would have aired out that game, I think we would have beat them by like 30 points. I swear. Then that's down to Clint Kubiak. Like it, and you're, you're, you're right. That's also part of the problem. If it's down to your play calling, like it's, it's Clint Kubiak. He's your offensive coordinator. Like you said, he, he scripts the first series and then we're, we're done. So does a quarterback not have any say in the play calling? Uh, okay. Especially, so ap- especially a quarterback that's been in the league for how many years now? After the Dallas game, when we had the ball, and the, I don't know if you heard this, um, but in the post-game press conference, Kirk Cousins was asked, like, did you feel in that moment? Because I think we had a chance. Dallas scored. They ran the ball. You were at my house for Halloween that night. Yeah. Um, great day, by the way, with the family and, and the kids and the neighborhood and um, all that. Yeah, great, except for the fact that the Vikings lost to a hapless <laughs> quarterback. But so they scored and they left us time on the right. And they asked him at the, you know, and we had a couple of timeouts and there was a, a, a key. I can't remember the exact sequence, but there was a key moment when it would have made sense for the quarterback to take charge and either take a timeout, um, you know, or spike the ball. And they asked him, Kirk, you know, what were you thinking in that moment? And he basically said, look, on this team, I defer to the coaches and what they want to do with timeouts. And it's like Aaron Rodgers doesn't. Patrick Mahomes doesn't. Tom Brady doesn't. Hell, Dak Prescott doesn't. And this was the point that Mackie and Judd made on their podcast. It's like you're paying this guy two years, $66 million, $33 million a year. And in the final two minutes of the game, when the game is on the line against a team that you should be blowing out with a quarterback that has never – started in the NFL and you have a chance to move the ball down the field and it comes down to clock management and you say it's on the coaches. Two things, the trust between the coaches and the quarterback and the quarterback not being a leader. And so I guess that's that's what we're back to is Kirk, as we always are. Well, Kirk and, and Zimmer. I think that yeah. goes on Zimmer too. Like if, you, if you're not giving a quarterback, you're paying that much like – to take control of your offense, then why is he even there? Yeah, I, I just I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe like that. You know, you think about all the great quarterbacks, and what do they do? They command a huddle. They they are a leader in the locker room. And when it comes down like to checking a play and calling an audible or calling you know a timeout or doing something where like you see that on the field they are an extension of the coaching, whereas our quarterback says. I defer with what the coaches want. <laughs> and he's making $33 million in bank. Oh, it must be nice. <laughs> All right. So we got nine games left, Isaac. We're three and five. We're at the Chargers, home against the Packers, at the 49ers, at the Lions, home against the Steelers, at the Bears, home against the Rams, at the Packers, home against the Bears. I think this seventh seed in the NFC probably does not need to be better than nine and eight. That's where I'm looking at the standing. So the question is in these final nine games, can we get at least five wins, if not six? Is there any chance? No. Okay, walk me through your thinking. Be a damn miracle. (laughs) I mean, the offenses we play are too good. Chargers, Packers, I guess if Rodgers is not playing, we have a chance. But I'm sure he'll be back by the 21st of November. I'll be at that game. Ayo. Ayo. <laughs> That'll be a good one. I I mean, honestly, I look at the schedule, and I think our, our only chance at winning is the Lions and the Bears at home. 
And even the Bears at home, I don't feel good about. And that's even with Fields being a pretty poor quarterback. So I don't, I don't think we make it. I think we're on the outside looking in. So the Chargers, they don't play home games. There'll be 30,000 Vikings fans in that stadium. Um, Rams, too. That's the nature of L.A. football. Uh, Packers at home, like, they're a better team than we are. And if Rodgers is playing, I don't like our chances, but we're still at home. In San Francisco, again, historically, the Vikings have never played well out on the West Coast against the 49ers, but not a juggernaut. You know, at the Lions, I would not chalk that one up in the win column. Against the Steelers and, you know, the corpse of um, Ben Roethlisberger. And, they don't, you know, the Bears, the Bears will play us tough. They do. They'll, they'll, they'll play us tough at home and they'll play, they'll play us tough on the road. Yeah, I I started looking at it and I'm like, we could win some games we shouldn't. And we could lose some games that we shouldn't. But when you're three and five, there's no margin for error. And yeah. it's hard for me to see six wins out of the next nine games. And that's just to put us at nine and eight. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Our our offensive philosophy through this point in the season would have to change dramatically for me to think we'd win even two games out of this this finishing stretch. I just I don't see it. I think we could take three or four. I think we could finish with six to seven wins. That would be my at this point. I, you know, I thought we had probably a nine or ten win team. And there's been some poor coaching and some bad personnel decisions. I think at the coaching level, and we've had some bad luck at the end of games, like in two and five and one possession games is not normal, but that's where we are now. Like, you know, and hopefully the Vikings surprise us, but I am not convinced that they will. Okay, Isaac. Well, we've spent about 30 minutes now on the purple and gold. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about the maroon and gold and how the Gophers are doing All right, and we're back, and we're going to talk a little bit about Gophers football, um, Isaac. And it has been a little bit better than the Vikings. Uh, this loss over the weekend against the uh, Fighting Illini left a sour taste in my mouth. But overall, I, I feel a little bit more optimistic about what P.J. Fleck is doing um, with this team than what Mike Zimmer is doing with the, with the purple and gold. Yeah, I felt really good. Uh, I think like our initial thought was to record this podcast Saturday night after the Gophers game, right? But uh after that loss I really got destroyed. I don't know. I just I take things really hard over here, I guess. You know, I, I still gotta learn to take losses in stride, but it's it's tough over here. But that all being said, like yeah, PJ Flex seems to be running a pretty good program. Um I mean he got that brand new contract, right? What what do you get? Seven years, five mil? His buyout got increased, so he does, so he can't go to USC or wherever else they're looking for coaches. So row the row the boat will stick around a little bit longer, huh? That's probably good. Row the boat, Sky Yuma. It's all culture, baby. It's all culture, baby. <laughs> I mean, it's huge though for college. Like, like I, I feel like that's one of the biggest things that PJ Fleck brings to 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 the U is is that culture, right? I mean, he's got a presence. Whether it's you know in his look or in his in his sayings, you know, row the boat and and uh, um, he's he he has he has kids on board with him, which is what's good. Like he's got 
young young men like young kids he's growing into men yeah you're right like you know he is a molder of young men and i think like the buy-in that he's gotten from this team over the last five years has a lot to do you know with his success and why the gophers after or the the university of minnesota administration um and mark coyle you know decided he won four games in a row let's let's lock him up and so he does give him that contract and you know the terms you 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 spoke to some of them um it i to me what it really felt like was that it was a contract that was negotiated with trust on both sides right coil was hired and then that's i think later in that same year he hired pj fleck so pj fleck is his man yeah and he's done pretty well i mean i mean the covid year aside you know, he went 11 and 2 in 2019, and he went 7 and 6 the year before. You know, in the year, a couple of years before that were building years. And this year, you know, he started out 6 and 3 now, despite that loss against Illinois over the weekend. And his base contract only went up from 4.65 to 5.1 million. Um, but yeah, like, you know, your point you made earlier is that it's going to be harder for other teams to buy him out, and it's going to be a little bit, you know, harder for the Gophers to buy him out if he's not doing well, right? But th- those terms get easier over time. So I think it's really a bet over the next two or three seasons like, that they're both taking on one another. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think it's a good deal, right? Because he, he's he's had this Gophers program in a pretty good spot. Um, and, and it's like, you know, when we look at PJ, like what – or like even in a college coach in general, like what do we want to look at as, you know, being a good coach, right? You know, this is like, is it, is it wins? Like, are we looking at wins? I mean, he's 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 uh, thirty-two and twenty-two um, as a Gophers coach, which puts him at just under a six hundred winning percentage, which would get him the third best winning percentage by a Gophers coach who's coached at least forty-five games. So there's some guys that have you know coached less, but to say people who have been there for a longer term, third best. The only two that are better than him are the greats in Gopher history, right? Henry Williams and Bernie Bierman, which I don't know honestly a thing about either one of them <laughs> other than they had winning percentages above 700 and it sounds like they were amazing. So I don't know if you know anything about them. Can you add anything on them or no? I'll say this. it He's the winningest head coach in the Gophers program through five years. Since anybody since 1941, which was the first year of American involvement in World War II, so that tells you that tells you about all you need to know. That like he's doing something right. I mean, he's it. It feels a lot like the Glenn Mason era. Like you know, we're a hell of a lot better than Jim Wacker, and we're a hell of a lot better than Tim Brewster. And you know, most of the Glenn Mason teams, especially once you got into the third or fourth year, were pretty competitive. The interesting thing that I heard about. I heard because, you know, earlier this year after the USC got, coach got fired, I think after week two, there was speculation about who might follow him, um, whether it was the Cincinnati head coach, the former assistant at Ohio State. Uh, what's his name? Uh, I know who you're talking about, but I don't got his name. Yeah, right. He was actually hired at Cincinnati by the guy that is the AD at USC right now. So he's the front runner. And they were saying PJ Fleck was number two. And um uh, Glenn Mason comes on KFAN on the Dan Barrero show as he loves to do. And he basically says, get the hell out of here, PJ. Because <laughs> what he's saying is like, if, you know, four or five years, they love you by the seventh or eighth year, especially if you've got a down year or two, like they're going to cut your neck the same way they're doing to Zimmer right now. 
So what he was saying is like, go to a program for five years, build it up and use it as your stepping stone to your next program. Western yeah. Michigan and Minnesota, Minnesota, USC. But PJ decided not to do that. I mean, and I'm not saying he could still get out in a couple of years. Yeah. But I think it. he did say, you know, I think his family really likes it here. He's got a wife and a couple of kids. And he's, he talks a lot about them, like, building a life in Minnesota and raising their kids here and sending their kids to Minnesota schools and the Twin Cities. And I think those things are important to him. And that gives me hope, you know. I still think he's a little bit of a snake oil salesman when he gets behind a microphone and in and, and, and the media and as a common fan. But, you know, if you're an 18 to 22 year old and, you know, he's your leader, I get it. Like, I get it. Like, And, and he's also really sharp. Like, he he's a little over the top sometimes. But, I mean, when you listen to him talk, like, his answers always have substance. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a little bit like, skewed by like i think him wanting to like talk about the program in a way that is all about the program but fundamentally he's a good football mind yeah um and he's recruited well in terms of what he's trying to build on this team and where this team's strengths are in the big 10 west so what are you know what are your takes he's he's going to be here at least for the next couple of years is his contract is um, for the next seven, so close to the end of the decade. Um, what do you think he's done in terms of our ability to compete in the Big Ten West? I mean, he's 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 kind of like brought his his plan and his attack to the team and kind of stuck with it, right? Like he's really good at like he really wants to dominate on the run, um, and he wants to have a solid enough defense to stay in games. And I feel like you know. Honestly, as long as I've known the Gophers, they've been a really good running team. So it's almost like he's kind of just doubling down on that. The fact that we have good running backs that come here. Our offensive line's pretty solid. And our offensive line this year, sans Saturday, has been pretty dominant for most of the year. So I mean they're I mean they, they control games on offense for the most part when they can run the ball. Now we saw the issue with that when they when they can't really run the ball. Um they have some quarterback issues. So that's another thing I'd like to I'd be very curious about is PJ Flex career post Tanner Morgan. Um, Cause I feel like Tanner's kind of a statue quarterback, but PJ's got his back to the, till his deathbed, it seems like. So um, it just, it'd, it'd be nice to see how this offense can evolve. I know he, he constantly talks about controlling the game through the run, but it's, it'd be nice if we had a bit more of a, a two way, you know, offensive attack like we did in 2019. Right. You know, our offense was pretty explosive and we had a really good run game. And then we had two really good wide receivers in uh, Johnson and Bateman. So, um, but he brings excitement. I mean, every day of game day, like whether it's his little antics, like, you know, the whole, like at the end of the quarter, the, he has the guys run down the other side of the field. Like it's something small and maybe it's kind of annoying to most people, but it's like something kind of exciting at the same time. Um, I was just at a game a few weeks ago against Maryland. And I heard, you know, one way he's he's trying to keep the, the seats filled at the U of M. Um, I wasn't going to say TCF Bank, but no longer TCF Bank. Huntington Bank. Just Stadium. call the bank. Just call it the, the bank. bank. The bank, yeah. Um, but they were having issues with, like, students leaving early, right? You know, they were always, you know, heading out sometime after halftime, but weren't staying to the end of the game. And he kind of made it a point that he wanted to offer some scholarships to students that stayed at the game into the fourth quarter. 
So like that was something he just added to, you know, to the game day experience where like if you stay the whole time till, you know, the fourth quarter of the game, you have a chance to, you know, go home with like a thousand dollars towards your tuition or something like that. So like he's bringing these like little, little extra tidbits to make like the game day experience better, keep the stadium full, keep the, you know, the stadium rocking as much as the bank can be rocking, I guess. But, um, so hold on. We're, I, I didn't, this, this point about the scholarships, I was not aware of. He wants to use the University of Minnesota's taxpayer money to pay 18, 19, and 20 year old Minnesota fans to stay in the game for the second half up to a thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know the specifics, but yeah, yeah, to some degree, yeah, that's what he's doing. Are you not okay with that as a taxpayer? No. <laughs> no, you don't want to. You don't want to keep that that game I, day I, experience there for four quarters. And you know, he, he he's he's focusing on the right things. Like you build a culture and you bring in, you know, good recruiting classes and. He seems to have a vision of like what it takes to succeed in the Big Ten West, which is run the ball and stop the run. Because I was looking at, and I mentioned this to you last weekend, but Minnesota, Illinois, and Wisconsin, there's 130 FBS teams are all between 120 and 128 in passing offense. Um, and you got to run the ball. You know, you got to run the ball up in the upper Midwest. That's what we do. We, we, um, we grow corn, we feed it to our linemen and, you know, we expect them to to block, and he's also focusing on the things around the football game that matter. And those things are, you know, fundraising alongside of Coil to get the right facilities in place, create a good game day atmosphere on campus. Which, thankfully, now at least with the bank being on campus, we have the chance to do. Offering scholarships for fans to stay in the stands seems like a bit of a stretch to me, but I do think it speaks to your bigger point about like, this is about building a program, not just a football team. And I think he's been, he's like, he's done a pretty good job. Like we were talking about, you went to that game and like, you were like, there's like, and you know, we dominated against Maryland and you said there was like a genuine buzz in the crowd. I mean, this Mm -hmm. isn't like, you know, Wisconsin, like, you know, rocking the stadium in Madison. Right. But This is maybe us in second or third gear. Because I was at a game six, seven years ago, um, and it was it was awful. The stadium was a third field. There was no students in the student section. We were playing Michigan. We got trounced. It was a really bad football game day experience. And the, from what I heard from you, the game against Maryland was pretty fun. Yeah, it was it was full. It was packed. There was like tons of fans that were like loving up on PJ. Like, yeah, that's my coach, PJ. And like, I mean, he, there, there was a, like a really bad moment right before halftime where they kind of went too conservative on offense and they tried to kick the field goal and that field goal ended up getting blocked. And there was some, I mean, that's, that's good, right? The crowd should keep you honest, right? Um, weren't happy about that conservative play calling, which I think like is a little bit what sums up the Gophers current offense, you know, hand yeah. in hand with also the Vikings offense, but. Um, but I think he he gets he gets docked some for that just because his offense is super conservative at times, run 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 run. But it seems like a majority of the the crowd that was at the game is just in love with PJ. 
Like, well, I don't, I don't blame him for a guy being born in November of 1980, as I was myself. I, I understand, you know, love for people of our generation. Um, <laughs> PJ and I, PJ and I, you know, but you're right. This, this, this offense is, is the problem, you know, against Ohio state was that we didn't have as much talent on the field. And we still, yeah. I think, stacked up pretty well against them. But the problem against Bowling Green and against Illinois is that they expose the degree to which this offense is fundamentally one-dimensional. 15th in rushing offense, 122nd in, path, in passing offense. So basically, our big offensive line, if they stack the box and we're not able to push guys around on the line, um, and you you force the Gophers into third and long, Tanner Morgan without targets on the outside. I mean, Ottman Bell, Brown Stevens, and Jackson are not Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman. That's the fundamental issue. He had a huge season in 2019 as a sophomore, but he had like NFL first round type targets. And they don't have them anymore. And so, again, the offensive coordinators and the offensive staff are protecting their weakness, which is Morgan's inability to throw the ball down the field accurately. And we don't have the playmakers to go up and make plays. And so then you're putting a lot of pressure on your offensive line. And now your fourth and fifth running backs with Muhammad Ibrahim, Trey Potts, Bryce Williams all out. You got Bucko Irving and Kai Thomas and a former linebacker, Derek LeCaptain, that are, you know, you're trying to rush the ball with. And they've done pretty well. But, you know, Illinois is not a bad football team. Brett Bielema has that team going in the right direction. They beat Penn State in Happy Valley two weeks before they knocked off the Gophers in the bank in, in Minneapolis. Um, that Bowling Green loss was pretty bad, but th- it was kind of the same script. The other thing is in both games, Morgan had two interceptions. So if you're so reliant on the run and you turn the ball over and you can't move the ball down the field and you can't convert in third and longs, it that's not a formula for success. So, I mean, I think the question is going to come down to this. Like we got Iowa and Indiana and Wisconsin. And it always, there are four teams tied atop the Big Ten West at four and two right now. Um, Iowa, Wisconsin, and the Gophers, as I mentioned, and Purdue. So to a large extent, we control our own destiny. And I know we lost against the, the Illini over the weekend, Isaac, but what are your thoughts on our ability to um, go two and one or win out in the Big Ten West? <sighs> Well, when you name two of those opponents we have, uh, my thoughts are we're, we're one in seven versus Wisconsin and Iowa. So, in the Fleck era? Uh, in the Fleck era. Mm. Uh, so I don't, I, don't, I don't feel great when it comes to that. Now, now Iowa's offense is, is pretty bad, and they've kind of sputtered as of late here. So I, I feel like our best chance is going to be with Iowa because Wisconsin's kind of rolling, um, and their defense is good. Um, Iowa's defense is good as well. I just think Iowa's offense is a lot worse than Wisconsin's offense. So I think if we can get in just a battle with Iowa and maybe win a game that, you know, like first team to 20 wins, I think we have a chance. Um, the only problem is Tanner Morgan will have to step up in that game. Like if he, if he performs the way he did against Illinois, like if he performs like that in any of our last, you know, our remaining three games, we're, we'll, we'll go on three. He's got he's got to put more out on the field than than what he did in Illinois uh, or against Illinois. So um, I don't love my I don't love our chances. I, I don't I mean this team's this team's solid this year. It's <laughs> honestly it's 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 a very similar team to the Vikings. 
Like we're 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 not we're not amazing and we're not bad. We're just kind of like we're good enough to hang in games, but we're not necessarily going to win them all. Um, so I, I I think we'll we'll hang around with them, but I I I don't like our chances of winning um winning out the rest of the season. What are you thinking? Yeah, I think you're you're like Wisconsin's offense with Graham Mertz has struggled all season. Um, they've really struggled to move the ball up and down the field. It's been pretty awful, but they have their, their run and pass defense is they're both top five in the country. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's going to be extremely hard for the Gophers to move the ball on them. The question is, can the Gophers defense, which is reasonably good, like the Gophers have played, um, I mean, we've, we've given up, uh, 18.9 points a game. We're 17th out of 130 FBS teams. So I think, you know, the, it's first game, first team to 10 might win the Wisconsin game, but their offense has come on a little bit as of late. Um, and I think Iowa is starting their backup quarterback, uh, this weekend. Yeah. I heard that, so that too. So that's going to help, but I think they're going to be, that they're going to be cat fights or dog fights, I guess. Um, so you, th- little, you think, you think Wisconsin's going to be a little scoring, huh? I don't know which version of Wisconsin I trust because I've watched them play a lot of football this season on Fox and against, you know, they've warmed up the last couple of weeks. I think they scored 52 against Rutgers over the weekend. Yeah, but, but Rutgers, they're, Rutgers they're, is pitiful. There have been weekends when Wisconsin hasn't moved the ball on more than one or two drives. Hmm. Um, granted against, they've had a really tough schedule too. Um, and, you know, Paul Christ has a way of getting this team into shape. The other thing is sometimes the best offense is a good defense and they've got a great defense. Yeah. So, I think the I think both games against our, our our border rivals are going to be uh tough. I just I you know with Ottman Bell and I, I thought he was a I I I would like to see PJ and the offensive staff open up the game plan a little bit. Like Tanner showed in 2019 and I know he had better players on the outside, and that it makes it his job a lot easier. This is a good offensive line. We generally can establish the run, except when we can't, and then the game's over. Um, but if if we can move the chains through the run game, and as PJ says, complimentary football, we got to play complimentary football. We got to be better. We got to be better at the passing game. The defense is solid. The, the 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 offensive line is good. The running backs, even though we're down to our fourth and fifth guy, I think it speaks to his recruiting that yeah. on the whole they've been able to perform. It comes down to Tanner Morgan and you know our receivers being able to move the chains on key downs. So if we do that, I think we could win two of the three last games, if not win out. Yeah, I mean, I I just think our defense is is going to be good enough. It's gonna it's gonna depend on our offense and whether like I just like for Illinois, I didn't really get the offensive game plan because it seems like we either tried to run the ball or we like I don't know like we didn't do quick throw plays. Like why didn't we have more screens, more slants? I think they did like maybe I don't even I don't even think a handful of slants, but. So I just I'd like to see a better kind of a game plan too, and you know maybe maybe our Minnesota football teams are just kind of linked in this way that their offensive play calling maybe maybe the offensive coordinators for the Gophers and Vikings are hanging out making game plans together or something like let, well, let, I don't know give, give our quarterbacks a chance to to make a bit more of a play and maybe help them out with some some quicker throws. 
I I think part of the problem too is that like with Illinois, you know, they've got a great running back in Chase Brown and he he tore I mean, their offensive line really pushed around our defensive line, which was a little bit surprising. And, you know, suddenly they're up 14 nothing and now you're in a negative game script. And when you have a one dimensional offense with a quarterback that has a hard time taking the top off the defense, even if you are more aggressive and you, ha- if you haven't been doing it all year, it's really hard to come back from that kind of deficit. So, you know, if you're run dominant in today's game, it, you know, you've got to get out, like, you've got to keep the game close. And if you don't, and you don't have the guys on the outside or the quarterback to make the plays, like you're probably not going to win. Yeah. I don't disagree, but I just like, I, did you watch the Illinois game? Yeah. I went, well, I watched as I always do yeah. good chunk, but, but good yeah. chunks of it this time. Like I, you I, know, I just, for, for me watching it, like it, I don't understand why they didn't do more like quicker passing plays. Like a lot of it was like long routes and then either Tanner Morgan was under pressure and either got sacked or he had to throw the ball away or, you know, he didn't, he made some bad throws too. So he definitely missed on some people, but um, I just like, it didn't seem like the play calling really helped out how Illinois was playing against us. And I just, it's just, I don't know. But this is our criticism and this is our criticism about the Vikings. Yeah. Kirk Cousins gets the ball out of his hands and like two and a half seconds or less but on a third and nine, he throws the ball six yards. Yeah. So he gets it out, but it doesn't move the chains. And so I think the fundamental issue is like, you know, and the difference is the Vikings have playmakers on the outside, which is the right. big, but I don't know if our offensive line is good enough to protect him long enough. And, and, you know, the football is like a car, like the parts in the engine have to be working together, you know? The pistons got to be firing. You need to get oil changes. You got to put gas in it. You know, like you got to clean your air filter out. Got to change your oil. It's sort of the same way. Like when one part, if your offensive line can't protect your quarterback, he's not going to be able to throw the ball. If they can't protect him, but he's a bad quarterback, you're not going to be able to throw the ball. If you can't protect him and he can throw it, but you don't have guys that can get open and catch it, you're not going to move the ball. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. both our, our offenses are, are, the Vikings aren't one-dimensional. The Gophers are, but the Vikings, I think, are limited in sort of their vision of who they can be because of their coaching. I don't feel the same about the Gophers. I think that they know who they are and they're playing to their strengths maybe a little bit too much. And if you open it up, you know, maybe we're going to have to. We're going to have to if, if we want to be nine and three or eight and four versus six and seven or seven and six against some pretty good teams coming up on the schedule. We're going to have to be a little bit more aggressive. <sighs> we'll see here. I feel like I feel like I'm I'm pessimistic on this. You know, it's it's not going to end up well for us. But maybe that's just me and how I feel this weekend with fantasy and both football teams losing. You know, thank thank the Lord the Wild. You know, are winning a couple of games here to to bring at least the bottom up a little bit, huh? Yeah, two wins over the weekend, and I haven't had a lot of bandwidth for hockey at this point. But there are so much some- going on right now. Yeah, it, it, it's a really, it's a, I, I know some of our teams are struggling and others are good, but like we want them to be better, but it, it's a great time of the year to be a sports fan, even if it is sometimes heartbreaking. Amen. Couldn't say it better. So, all right, cuz, well, it's been great to have you uh, on the pod again tonight and to kind of basically give, uh, give me a, a therapy session in Minnesota sports. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate you. Can you take us out?
Yeah, it's definitely. Well, here's hoping that the uh, the uh, end of the football seasons do not go as poorly as I think they will. Um, hopefully good things. We end on a good note. And um, hope you enjoyed the pod and stay safe out there.